and welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. I hope you're having a decent day, living and learning, making the most of the days and the weeks, and uh, just trying to keep positive over here. Very excited to discuss 28 Up with you today. And if you're listening and not list and not following along with the documentaries, not watching documentaries, have no fear. We're giving you the main points here and the points of reflection that might whet your appetite to check out these documentaries in the future because I've spent a lot of time with them, uh, watching them, re-watching them, and reflecting upon them. And I, I'm doing this because I want to see if this can be fertile uh, syllabus for a course or part of a course on practical education, what makes a good life. And last, last episode, uh, two episodes ago, when we looked at 21 Up, the theme became foundation and vocation. We were looking at these 21-year-olds, and they're kind of often between foundation, where they are from, foundation, where we are all from. You know, the family, the neighborhood, the culture, the subculture, that's our foundation. And that foundation could be very solid, it could be built on sand, it could be not that stable, but that's our foundation for better or worse, where we come from. And But then we have to figure out, and this is the challenge to the individual, it is perhaps guided by those around us very strongly, but where are we going? What is our vocation, our calling? So where we are from and where we are going. So I'm trying to look at this as we look at these characters in this documentary, understanding them at 7 and 14, they're more foundational years. And now as we shift to 28, 21 and 28, we're seeing them pursue their vocation. Do they find a new foundation with a new family or with a new career? How much are they still meandering or wandering looking for that vocation or that new foundation i want to start by playing a little sample of susie susie was not a major player in the first few documentaries she was the girl who was featured by herself and is from a very rich family and she seemed very shy and awkward in most of the first three documentaries but in this documentary you find her suddenly um happy, looking at the camera, well-adjusted, just really at seemingly in a very peaceful place in her life. So let's hear what she says about that. It just seems a miracle to me. When I last saw you at 21, you were nervous, you were chain-smoking, you were uptight, and now you seem happy. What's happened to you over these last seven years? I suppose Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you some credit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not chain smoking. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I didn't know where I was going at 21. I mean, I suppose I I thought I was I was reasonably happy at 21, but I had no kind of direction. No, um, I obviously hadn't found what I you know what I wanted. I don't think most people have at 21. We're still very very young. So Susie found. Rupert, she found a husband, and she began to uh, have a family of her own, and seems that really grounded her. 
Now, I want to think about what is guiding the transition from a foundation to second foundation or this adult foundation or what is guiding us along the path to vocation, right? I'm, I try to look at things visually and, and really picture like for most of us, the early years can be looked at as, as, as a, a home, a physical home. And you could think about how stable that home is and, and what kind of strengths and weaknesses that home provided for the young child. But we also have to think about what else was influencing us. And education is a huge theme in this. And our hours in the educational system are tremendously large, many, many hours. So evaluating what we're learning from education, how it's serving us is very important. So I want to play a clip from Peter. And Peter is from Liverpool. He was featured as a youngster alongside Neil. I want to play a clip from Peter where he talks about uh, his reflection on education and practical education. If children, would you want them educated in the way that you've been educated? I don't know if things have changed, but basically you've still got this emphasis on just getting through exams, you know, which isn't really education. Because most of the stuff you come out of school with is absolutely useless. You just don't need it. So how would you bring them up, educate them? Well, I don't know, I suppose the easy answer is uh, teach them more relevant things, you know, get them to think for themselves a bit more, which schools don't do enough. I mean, would you contemplate putting them into the private sector of education? No, no, definitely not. Why? Well, it's just a principle, you know, that's all there is to it. And what is the principle? Well, the principle is that the, the private schools help to keep the old class system going. You know, they're part of it, they perpetuate it. So I'm certainly not going to be involved in that. Neil, who really emerges as a compelling, compelling character, especially in uh, 21 Up and this episode of 21 Up, 28 Up, uh, he's quite compelling because he has always been a very much a free thinker and seemed very, very clever and sharp and... The world was his in 7 and 14. And now we saw him at age 21, um, semi-homeless and, and really uh, wandering, really lost. And not, not looking very healthy and grounded in life. Um, someone who was definitely not, not in touch with a foundation or a vocation and, and desperately... Uh, attached to meaning and finding something that was meaningful for him to do and really seemingly at odds of the society and in 28 we find him in a very similar place uh, he had some interesting things to say about education as well so let's let's hear what he had to say no formal education can prepare anybody for life just only only life can can prepare you for what comes and somebody sooner or later you're going to have to cross certain barriers and I don't think you ever cross those uh, at school or or at university you, you come across the problem of mixing with other people but the real problem I mean the, the real problem of, of becoming a success in the world is it's one you have to tackle yourself how we define success this is a huge part of our early education and, and it is an echoing influence of 
the the home, the initial home, the foundation, but also other educational atmosphere uh, influences the education of home, the education of school, the education of peers, and the edu- and the education of media. How we define success is going to really relate to what we find is our calling, is our vocation. But sometimes these are at odds with our foundation. These are at odds with our culture, and we see this a lot, especially with with Neil. But I wanted to uh, contrast it a bit with our three working class girls, Jackie, Lynn, and Susan. And as, as this, we'll play a clip from them. And in this clip, we hear them talking about how uh, different opportunities that were given to them and also different expectations from parents in different social classes and how that affects the, uh, the health of the adult. So you three working class girls don't feel bitter about a society that maybe gives one strata of it more opportunities than another? No. <laughs> not bitter. Not, not at all. Um, <clears throat> I don't even think, to be honest, we consciously think, think about, about it until it. this programme comes up once every seven years. <laughs> I really don't think we even think I mean, about it. I do not sit there you thinking... Say, <gasps> He actually I mean, was I... born into money. He's had more opportunity. I mean, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't even cross my mind. I think that we all could have gone in any way that we wanted to at the time within our capabilities. I mean, we just, we chose our own jobs. Uh, we were able to choose our own jobs quite freely. If you've got a comfortable background, then perhaps it can make life easy. But I think yeah. you've also seen within this program that it doesn't always work that way in some respects i think that uh point of clarification when she says the boys and susie she's referring to the upper class children on the show the boys and susie didn't have such an open choice as we had it was mapped out from such an early age as to where they were going and they had to live up it's a hard thing living up to parental expectations. expectations. So how do expectations of relatives, of family, of friends, how does this shape our education and our search for a vocation and our search for a niche? How does our niche relate to our vocation? Are they one and the same? Is our niche and our vocation multi-layered from our, our family and friends, our close clan of sorts, the people that we find that are around us? If we were lucky, we were born into a family or uh, were raised in a setting like the boys' home we saw with Simon and Paul, a place that was nurturing and supportive of our growth. But... What exactly does that nurture and support look like? You know, what are the essential elements? How do we push children but not overwhelm them with expectations? I think there's a lot to learn from from Neil. So in this episode, we see Neil, like we said, in 21, he was semi-homeless and living in a squat 
in London, but now he is out in the country. They don't say exactly where, but it's a place with rolling hills and and lakes and very beautiful pastoral setting. And you see him walking down country roads and hitchhiking and carrying his bag and just looks like a, a bit of an eccentric fellow. And he, he even says this in the film that people consider him an eccentric, and that's probably the best way to put it. Um, you could tell that he is... Uh, well-loved and, uh, and an engaging fellow around town, but he's, he's living in a in, in rural place with mostly around a lot of nature and, and not, not too many people. He's, he's staying in a little, bit of, um, a little bit of a trailer in the countryside. So if we hear him speak again, we can hear him talking about um, just his reflection on where he is at life. And I think it's quite telling. And he becomes sort of a symbol of a lot of the alienation or atomization or isolation that has become a major part of modern life. So this documentary was 1984 and and in England. So remember, keep that time frame in mind because a lot of these problems have only grown as the time, as the years have passed. I, I always told myself that um, I would never have children. Why? Because, because, well, because children inherit something from their parents. And even if my wife were the most um, high-spirited and ordinary and normal of people, um, the child would still stand a very fair chance of being not totally uh, full of happiness because of what he or she will have inherited from me. I might still have been unemployed, but what my background has given me is um, a sense of just being part of um, a very impersonal society. The, the suburbs are, the suburbs force this kind of feeling upon somebody. Um, the most you can hope to achieve is is to have the right to climb into a suburban train five or ten times a week and just about stagger back for the weekend. The least is, is just unemployment. What other things about modern society turn you off? The cheap satisfaction in so many things. Uh, the aimlessness. But I think the total lack of thought is, is, is at the bottom of it. Nobody seems to know where, where they or anybody else is going and nobody seems to worry. Um, you know, you, you, finish, you finish the week, you come home, you plug into the TV set for the weekend, and then you manage to get back to work on Monday. And it seems to me that this is just a, a slow path to, to, uh, to total brainwashing. And, and if you have a brainwashed society, then you're heading towards doom. There's no question about that. It would be pretty tough to convince most people that what you have here, the way you live, the way you look, is better than a suburban life. Well... I don't want to convince anybody, I know it is. See, what I look like isn't necessarily what I feel like. I'm not claiming that, that I feel as though I'm in some sort of nirvana, but I'm claiming that if I was living in a bedsit in suburbia, I'd be so miserable, I'd feel like cutting my throat. And so, there is a slight difference. When I go home, I come, I come in and Mummy gives me a cup of tea, and then I go out and play. And, um, and when it starts to get dark, I come in again and put on TV. I don't think um, 
I was really taught any sort of policy of living at all by my parents. This, this is probably their biggest mistake. Now I was just left to fend for myself in a world which they seem completely oblivious of. And uh, I found that even when I tried to discuss problems which were, which were facing me in school, um, my parents didn't seem to be aware of the nature of the problem. I think for most of us, there are aspects of Neil's isolation, confusion, that we can relate to. I know that for me, it strikes very close to home. Oh, very close to home. See, I'm listening to these Brits so much, I'm developing a bit of an accent. So please bear with me. I'm just trying to do my best here. I have always felt like I was swimming upstream against the current in this society. But I've never felt completely alone in that because I realize there's a lot of us who at times feel like we're swimming upstream in this society. And I think it's good. It's good for society to have different opinions and thoughts and, and ways of living. But sometimes it seems hard to, to fit in and to find our place. And like I said, we are born into some family. So and then we're put out there on our own and if we don't find a niche where where are we where do we go and i think that's this is why i think reflecting on neil is really important along with all the other characters in this documentary and and our own stories and our children's and 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 friends and families as well because Culture is fundamentally changing. Economic systems, economic realities are changing. We are living in a period of great, great change. And we are, humans are amazingly adaptable. However, as individuals, we're only semi-adaptable. And by that I mean, we are social beasts and we are social beings. And when we are forced out on our own and finding our niche and our place in the world, that isolation is really damaging a lot of people. And we're losing a lot of people to suicide and to alcohol and to drugs. We're losing a lot of people to addiction and depression. So we really have to reflect upon that. How, if we had clans and tribes and social structures that really surrounded us, throughout most of human history, and now we don't have that. We have a, a, a very seemingly large freedom, but often not a lot of guidance and support or direction. How do we handle that? And how do we teach youngsters to handle that? And how do we continue to learn and, and grow in light of these challenges? All right, well, this turned into a very heady episode. I hope it doesn't feel too disjointed. I try to include a lot of samples today, and I wonder if I spread myself a little bit thin. I just would keep on reflecting on this notion of foundation and vocation, this notion of journey, this notion of trying to find a calling, a niche, a place, a place in the world where we feel like, hey, this is where I'm supposed to be. Here's uh, Peter, Peter from Liverpool reflecting on this question. 
Do you think people change much, or do you think we saw you, the man, and the seven-year-old boy? I thought for a while that was uh, a bit too simple, but I think it's true because after that, you know, your barriers begin to go up and you learn how to fend off things, like I was just saying. And obviously when you're seven, you don't think about it, you just come out with it. So, yeah, to a point you reflect that, yeah. So the boy at seven is, in a sense, the real you? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, the sort of uh, the essential, <laughs> the essential Peter Davis. The essential, the essence, the seed. What is the essence of you? Is the seven-year-old you the essence of you? And how has that seed grown? Fun thoughts to ponder. When I'm sitting around with a few friends, sometimes I think, if we were all seven-year-olds sitting at second-grade lunch table, we would be having a similar type of conversation, even years and years, if not decades later. So there's certain principles that I certainly um, certainly agree with. Um, this seven-year-old, a lot of that foundation is set. But then where where do we go with that? How do we interact with that? I mean, it's not destiny. It's just foundation. All right, let's hear one more clip. This is from Paul. Paul is, he was in the boys' home with Simon. Paul was the white boy who moved to Australia when he was 14. And this clip uh, has him and his wife discussing about uh, who he is now versus when he was seven. I suppose you could see me now when I was seven in a way. Like, I, I think it was pretty obvious I wasn't going to be a doctor. You seem such a sad little boy. That's me, though. <laughs> well, no, I was pretty, you know, long face <laughs> sort of thing. So I was like that sometimes out here, too. I was always getting knocked about that. I don't like greens when I don't. The first show I saw was at 21. When I saw him at seven, I just wanted to cry. He seemed so pathetic. He, I, I, I suppose it's, I don't know, it's hard to say. It really made me go to jelly inside, you know, to, to see him like that. Do you think it's true that we can see the man in the, in the seven-year-old boy? Yeah, yes it is, because in that he was a very gentle and, and, um, not gentle, I'm a caring person, yeah. He's always cared about other people and always been able to work his way, talk his, try to give an explanation for, for saying something he doesn't really want to do, you know, like what if I didn't like to eat my greens and all that sort of thing. I mean, he's always still does that, the what if, you know, what if, and then you know, well, he doesn't really want to do that, so he's trying to talk <laughs> himself out of it. Yeah, yeah. Does he eat greens now? He loves them. He loves him. He loves him. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope we provided some stimulating mental food to chew on. I wish you a, a great day and a great week. Keep living and learning. Bye-bye.